the most audible. Holy applause. Welcome to Anything is Potable, the Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, joined as always by the kid, the legend. Some would say the god, most don't, but some would say the god, Jay some, King. Some being me. Celtics beat reporter for The Athletic, uh, joining us uh, live from what looks to be a basketball stadium. Uh, <laughs> this is, is the a- backdrop in my room. I have this in my room. It's embarrassing, I know. But but we should tell the, the listeners, we can actually see each other for basically the first time ever. We're pivoting so. to video. We did it uh, last episode with Gary Washburn. He told us a lot of uh, fun stories. It was, uh, it was fun for the podcast, and so we're... We're adding more video. Hopefully, we can uh, share this later. This is a test run audio only um, because there's uh, some video issues with our current guest who uh, currently has a, a mustache that he, uh, a Fu Manchu that he's not really willing to share with the world at this point. Um, he's been on the podcast before. I would say friend of the podcast, uh, the great Fred Katz, the Wizards beat reporter, also for, from The Athletic. How are you doing, Fred? Yeah. Look, we know this thing is going to be shared by one of you against my will at some point. So, oh yeah, I think oh, it's yeah. better for me to just start accepting that now. I, I I decided to shave this in in the morning, having no idea I was going to be doing video today, and I'm immediately shaving it once I'm done. Here's so the thing, you guys are getting Fred, the one interaction with this facial hair. It looks fantastic. Like there should be no shame on your part. Like you should be wanting to share this with the world. Maybe we just have very different uh, personalities and um, ideas about, I'm very jealous. I can't do anything uh, near it, but I think it, it looks fantastic, Fred. It's no, a- no, it does not. It looks like Seth Rogen from Superbad and Paul We're saying the same thing here. <laughs> just, just had a child and out popped Fred Katz. My my brother told me I, I look like a, a low-level depressed traffic cop. So I think you guys are all We're all talking same. about the same thing here. It's just it dudes, that same Ben energy. Stiller had that facial hair in some movie, too. Dodgeball. Dodgeball. White Goodman. Yeah. Yeah, that, you're, you're rocking that right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he had more of a soul patch, though. I that didn't is do true. the soul patch. So, I, I, I mean, I just I woke up this morning and I thought, I really want the world to take me seriously today. <laughs> the world, the world will take note. I'll tell you that much. That's why he. That's why you uh, got the Fu Manchu, and that's why you decided to come on anything is potable because it's a day for a uh, serious talk, serious journalism, uh, and serious mustaches. Hey, Mark, Mark Sanchez did it. I remember. Yeah, he had it I briefly. Mean, yeah, yeah, why not? Good. I mean, he's good looking. Never man. done anything good, but good uh, yeah. <laughs> Two AFC championship games. That's fair. That's Are you a Jets fan, Fred? Unfortunately, yeah, I'm a yeah, Jets. Yeah, that's fan. too bad. It's terrible. It's so horrible. <laughs> it's I a can't really imagine that, like fun whatsoever. I grew up a Jets and a Clippers fan. Yikes! Horrendous. Did you just pick the two worst franchises in sports? <laughs> yeah, just because like if they ever won, you're like it would be that much better. Were you setting yourself up for fantastic success, possibly? No, I was a Jets fan because I loved um, – I became a football fan when I was like nine, and it was 98, and it was like the one year the Jets were good the first 20 years of my life. Well, they were good, but it was the one year they were really good, and they it was the Bill Parcells year when they went to the AFC Championship game, and I loved Curtis Martin, and so I just became a Jets fan that year, not knowing that being a Jets fan was an incredibly depressing life project, and uh, I loved it. <laughs> 
loved playing with Eric Pikowski and Kobe Bryant NBA courtside '98. So I became a Clippers fan. And that oh, was I mean, I, yeah, both both of those things seem pretty straightforward paths to the teams you got. So that was how I jumped on the incredibly, incredibly crowded Clippers bandwagon in 1998, right before the uh, nine and 41 performance during the lockout year. It's a hell of a season. That's a tough year. That is a <laughs> tough, tough year. I mean, I can't believe you picked those teams. Well, I'm from New like, York, so I was a Jets fan. That makes sense. The Clippers the makes no sense. No, the Clippers makes no sense. I just I, I had the Eric Piatkowski jump shot for him just down. So Eric so Piatkowski was really the reason you Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. Clippers. That's real. That's really the reason why I grew up a Clippers fan. Do you think you're the only person in the world who became a Clippers fan for Eric Piatkowski? Um, I imagine Mrs. Piatkowski would have done it. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, though. Eric Piatkowski. Okay. That is a pretty Fred Katz thing, actually. I'm I'm not very surprised. Before, <laughs> before we go too far, too much further into your insane sports background, let's, let's get to the last dance. I, I do want to have some last dance discussion on this podcast because it is the only thing going on in sports. And because it is loosely it's the, related, it's the only to the collective Celtics. experience we have as uh, as NBA people. Thank God it yeah. exists. We wouldn't have anything else. Seriously, it's all we got. And last night's episodes were, as usual, interesting. Antoine Walker made a brief, 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 brief appearance. Danny Ainge, yet another appearance. A lot of Celtics talk. I know you have some takes, Packard. I want to hear your hottest take. I don't really have like the hottest of takes. I'm just you, young. You hyped them up then. I'm very young and didn't remember the 1993 finals because I was three years old then. But the fact that the Suns were up four with a minute to play in game six and lost is insane to me. I guess I, I just didn't have that piece of information registered in my brain. They choked that game away. They played horrendous defense. On transition, Danny Ainge, Celtics GM, was the guy who just did not put a body on Michael Jordan whatsoever. I was just shocked at that, like how unaware I was of that game. Like that was to force a game seven and then anything happens in game seven. And you guys saw from those clips how good Barkley was and like how like in shape, slim Charles Barkley, how dominant he was. Anything can happen in a game seven. The Bulls didn't even pack a second suit. They only came there to play one game. Who knows what would have happened? <laughs> I, I love I love this idea of like 27 years later hot take radio. <laughs> this is what really do this. Go through the whole Dan season. Marley didn't, Dan Marley didn't move off the body. No one steps up to any ball pressure on Jordan with a minute left in game six. This is insane. Get Danny Ainge out of Boston. He didn't even cover anybody in the final minute of that game. Ooh, ooh, get I, him away. I Just like hot these takes hot all takes around. Now. He had a terrible haircut, and when he got in a pushing match with MJ, he immediately backed down. Like it was not a good episode for Danny Ainge. Yeah. <laughs> Danny Ainge was Danny Ainge was is is featured on. I mean, he played like three. Te- he was on three teams that went up against Jordan in major major moments. Like he's he's majorly part of this thing. Danny Ainge yeah, also, by the way, is a wildly underrated all-time athlete. When people talk about the best athletes of all time, like Danny Ainge has to be on that list. Guys suck dingers. It's hard to suck dingers and then be that good at uh, NBA basketball. I'm and sorry. Then- you can't You can't say sock dingers twice in back-to-back sentences. <laughs> he raked. 
<laughs> my man mashed. <laughs> what what other baseball lingo is there? Just, I don't think we can use the word dinger. I I I. I I know this isn't my podcast, but I feel like I need to lay down some dinger-related legislation here. Here's the thing. Dinger, dinger is a regular piece of my vocabulary, and uh, this podcast is literally catered to the nonsense that comes out of my mouth. That's basically <laughs> the whole thing is I speak nonsense and Jay reacts to it. That's the dynamic we got going on here. Danny Inge's, Danny Inge is one of the most underrated like athletes of all time. People just don't, don't mention him as one of the great – as like an incredible two-sport athlete. Well, that's because he did not hit many dingers. Let's be honest. <laughs> he didn't hit enough dingers. <laughs> he, sucked, he sucked an underwhelming amount of dingers in both. Maybe rooms. that's why people don't give him enough credit because he wasn't a power hitter. Chicks dig the long ball. He's also <laughs> really good at golf, which is annoying. Like I, I hate when people are just good at every sport. Like why? I think he was a great high school football player too. I may be making that up, but I think I think I remember that. Like he was just just one of those guys who could do anything. And I hate that about him. <laughs> it was nice seeing Michael Jordan like struggle to hit putts yesterday because it was just like everything else, all the other clips of him was like, wow, he's insane. And and he, he also got beaten by that uh, clubhouse attendant. Oh, at coin throwing. That toss game. <laughs> that guy had electric hair. His hair is like the Fred Katz facial hair <laughs> of, of hair. <laughs> just Just electric hair. That that guy's uh, that guy's Jordan shrug after the fact was I, in no hyperbole at all. That was the best moment of the first six episodes of this whole thing. <laughs> my, that was the favorite, single best. My favorite part was because he did it like five times, and I think it's because he didn't get a reaction out of it, and he didn't know whether people saw it and realized what he was doing. So well, he the, he just he just kept doing it and like just exaggerated a little more. And I, I enjoyed that. The, someone made the point on Twitter last night, and I saw I saw uh, Michael Jordan's manager tweeting out that he passed away in January, which is obviously sad to begin with. But it's so sad that that we don't get to hear him talk about that right now because somebody made the point last night on Twitter that somewhere that guy's kids are going to see this clip from this documentary. And they are going to see proof of the moment that their dad has been swearing is real <laughs> yeah. all these years and they've never believed him on. And they are now going to see the video. And he could have been there for that moment and be like, I told you this happened. I've been telling you for three decades this happened. And yeah. we don't get that moment. For three decades, they've been like, dad, we don't fucking believe you. You're yeah. a fucking liar, dad. <laughs> He's like, no, seriously. I shrugged in his mug after beating him. <laughs> so that's not true. There's no way. That's completely. I. It, it would have been such an incredible moment for him to shove, like, just shrug in his kid's face right there. Yeah, would have been great. Yeah, and instead, it just never happened. It, it's sad. Truly sad. I got one Truly more. Uh, he would have been an electric podcast guest too. Just to review that one game, why he was shrugging. I don't know if he would have been an electric podcast guest. You have no way to say that. You've seen a three-second clip of him. Did you see his hair? Did you see the shrug after he beat Michael Jordan? Would you like to hear how many people he's told that story? Because I would. Because I would. And I also want to hear how the story evolved over the years. Because he definitely didn't leave it at, at just like, oh, yeah, I, I beat him for $20. He was probably saying, like, I beat him for thousands, thousands of dollars. 
Right. It was a $6,000 game and there were 25 <laughs> other people there and Scotty Pippen high five me. And that was, <laughs> that was actually why Jordan retired the first time. It was like, I'm not even doing this anymore. I can't be around you anymore. Finally came yeah. back. Yeah. 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 R.I.P. Sure. Honest, honestly, he, he gave me joy. He gave me serious, serious joy. Oh, that was hilarious. It was got- so funny. Shrugging him, uh, shrugging in Michael Jordan's face, like doing the Jordan shrug to Michael Jordan is the most epic thing ever. Was it pre or post the shrug uh, against the Blazers? It was definitely post. Oh yeah, he was definitely doing it. He was doing it because he was a hundred percent knowingly Jordan shrugging. I assume that that was from that was from ninety eight. I assume that was like the behind the scenes ninety eight. Oh yeah, that makes that makes way more sense. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was thought about this way more than I have. Yeah. No, he was a hundred percent doing like, oh, I just beat Michael Jordan easily. Guess what? Jordan shrugging Michael Jordan. That was that was without a doubt what was going on there. That's why it was so great. The other best part of those two episodes was just the sheer hatred for Tony Kukoc for no reason. I I have loved seeing how petty Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, but specifically Michael Jordan. I guess Pippen has been just as petty, but they were like, like Jerry Krause would just rile those guys up and do something stupid. And they would Jerry Krause would just act as a general manager. Like I can understand not signing Scotty, but like it would be like Jerry Krause scouted another player. So Jordan's like, I'm gonna kick his ass. <laughs> yeah. and, and then, but the best part, like they went after the game, and Charles Barkley was like, Yeah, if if they pay somebody, it better be Scotty Pippen. And Scott Scotty was like, Yeah, if, if he's if he's gonna struggle with that type of pressure, like good luck with 82 game season, bro. And they're like, that's their teammate. They knew he was going to be their teammate. And still, they were not afraid to make public comments about him. The dynamics of that team were ridiculous. Like, from every angle, between hating the GM, the coach was in his last year. Like, everyone knew he was in his last year. Imagine if they told, like, Doc Rivers, like, Doc, we hate you, but we're going to give you this one last year. And then... We'll figure it out after that. And then the Clippers were like, yeah, let's just do this this year. Or like Frank Vogel knew he had a a year left. It's just so strange. That team, but they were so petty and just everything went on. That could go on, went on. And I love it. I was thinking Fred was going to talk, but then he didn't. Oh, I was thinking. (laughs) See, no chemistry yet. No chemistry yet. I thought you were jumping in. They were wildly petty. Yeah, There's this weird thing that I've been watching throughout this documentary where – I'm going to be a really old man for a second. Go for it. I'm going to be like a really old man. There's this weird thing. I'm going to say the term kids today. There's this weird thing where kids today on the internet kind of think they came up with everything. Like they kind of uh, like, like the NBA wasn't petty until like five years ago or, or like certain (laughs) or the way people talk about, like I've been watching like people, people reporting stuff about Michael Jordan going to Atlantic city between games. People are like, Oh, nowadays the media is just reporting stuff in people's business. Back in the day, they were way more respectful. It's like no one would report nowadays on a star player. Like if LeBron James went out between games, 
No one reports on that stuff nowadays. This kind of stuff has been happening for a really long time. And it's so weird how we all have such short-term mem memories. Of like, oh, well, now the NBA is really petty. Are you kidding me? These guys are talking about this with their own teammates. That kind of stuff never happens nowadays. Like, it was way pettier back then. It was just that you didn't hear about it because there wasn't social media and all that stuff. Yeah, they were. that was peak petty wars, honestly. Like, to go after they your left own. Isaiah Thomas off the dream team because they all hated him. <laughs> But I'm I, I, like the Isaiah Thomas stuff is one thing because that's an opponent and that's somebody that that you just play and you obviously have a dislike for because you're competing against him all the time. Like some level of dislike, whether it's as a person or just a competitor, the Tony Kukoc stuff, they just disliked him because they heard he was good and that they heard the Bulls valued him and they were like, yeah, you know what? Fuck that guy. <laughs> and he was going to be their teammate. And that, it was just... Hey, he was, they were making him stronger. They gave him... They let him know what he was needed to expect to be a compete on their level. It's like they, they just played intense basketball against him. Like they were, It's not like they spat in his face. Yeah, they did, they did not spit in his face. They just whipped his ass thoroughly and then told the media about it afterward. It was special. <laughs> the only other thing that's crazy is about like the, just the level of Jordan people talk about today about like, oh, the players have so much scrutiny. It's like they're on social media thinking this in like the context of uh, reading um, Ethan Strauss's book about KD and about like how there's so much on these players. But then you look at Jordan in 93 in that season and then in 98 with all the media kind of craziness, it's it's a very similar atmosphere to like what LeBron faces in terms of like number of people and attention on him on the finals like the dude couldn't leave his hotel room i think i was like struck by that because i think of like all of this media attention as a as a newer thing because i i guess i am one of those damn kids um who wants to take credit for things but it was kind of struck by the like jordan quit just because he wasn't having fun with all of that attention um i get you can get into conspiracy theories but if we just like take him at his word that it just like was too much um, and it's kind of interesting to compare that now to like KD and his search for happiness where, uh, for Jordan, like winning, he clearly enjoyed that, but like the other stuff got in the way for KD clearly winning hasn't given him happiness. And I don't know. I just thought it was like an interesting parallel that like that he just left the game because it was so much scrutiny and just looking like pretty insane, like Beatles mania type stuff, which I guess it, it's almost like more attention, more problems, right? Like, and I think you see it in the modern NBA a lot. Like when teams are on the rise, then cool. Or when when a rookie like comes in, plays great, plays great for a few years, like well, keeps climbing, 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 and then the all Celtics. of a sudden there's a backlash because the expectation. And we saw it with the last year's Celtics, where it was like everybody had different expectations than they were used to, and there was all this this glare on them, and they just couldn't handle it, and. And obviously, like the Bulls had it to a totally different degree, and they had it to they had the spotlight to a totally different level. But just from the money to the pressure to win a championship to the coaching dynamics, the how many years are in your contract to how much you're playing, how much when you get touches, like. Every dynamic is so real and anything at any point can just cause everything to go kaboom. And I think the Bulls held it together because they were they had Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and a lot of tough guys. And I think Phil Jackson probably played that as perfectly as he could. But man, there's just 
team dynamics in the NBA are insane. It was it was also back then when when you were really really famous and when a team was really really famous, it could it could blow up more even though we didn't have social media, we didn't have all those other things because there just weren't the distractions of daily life that we have now. Like back then like People, there is a reason that like the mash finale is nothing is ever going to be as watched as the mash finale, or no no TV show is going to draw nine oh two one oh numbers on a weekly basis. You know, how do you know the mash finale is the most watched TV show? It's ever? a cultural because uh, it's relevant it, thing. Yeah, it's, that's like a that's like a thing. The I mash, guess so. It's totally a thing that that drew insane numbers. Like nine oh two one oh drew insane numbers. Seinfeld drew insane numbers because it wasn't competing with Netflix and Hulu and. Uh, 1500 tv channels yeah joe exotic and a million other things and like we as a culture now just can disperse our interest into so many more specific things and so many more things in general that like we as a culture don't get into one thing at a time and i think that's even happened with with players now too we're like we have league pass and we have video games and so people become steph curry fans instead of warriors fans or lebron fans instead of lakers fans or Cavs fans or heat fans and they just kind of follow around one guy and like the bulls as a phenomenon and the bulls kind of becoming famous as if like you talk about like Beatles famous, like the Beatles were famous as, as a group, like they'd get chased as a group. The bulls were almost that kind of like Beatles, Rolling Stones kind of famous where it's like, Oh, you're a bull. Now you're something. And like, that's a different kind of fame than I think the individual fame that you see with more players today, like even, even the warriors, whether they're better or worse than the nineties bulls, like it was a different kind of fame for them. It was more of an individual fame as opposed to like, no one was like the warriors are here. They're like, Steph Curry is here. Kevin Durant is here. It's just a different kind of, it's a different kind of uprising in terms of just the way that people and fans, fans react, react to them and interact with them. I, that's all I got. Yeah. I concur. You've won the point, Fred. That's all I got. I don't know why I got into that. If you're bored in the house, why not spend some time on yourself? Our sponsor today, Manscaped, is here to make sure you're well-groomed above and below the belt. Manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving thanks to their Lawnmower 3.0. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming. While you are probably looking for new things to do at home, why not make manscaping part of your routine? This is the perfect package for your perfect package. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC. Let's leave the last dance discussion there. Let's get on to discussion about Fred. Because that's what we're doing, Fred. We're having reporters, mostly Celtics reporters, but you were a Celtics reporter. You, for like a week, were a Celtics reporter. We will talk about that, but that was the first, also, first time I met you. You were a Celtics reporter. You've covered the Russell Westbrook era, and obviously, you you had some moments with Russell Westbrook, as as all reporters did. Um, you are now covering the Wizards, and you covered some fighting in fighting there. So you've had like kind of a a cool rise. 
that I've I've appreciated. Like I feel like everywhere you go, there's some sort of dysfunction. Not not because of you, but but you do a really good job covering it. Let's let's start with Russell Westbrook. Well, because... did you start your career as like a Thunder reporter? How'd you get into covering was, the Thunder? That was my first beat writing job. Yeah, yeah. What'd started... you do before that? So I was freelancing around, and then I was at Bleacher Report. I was living in New York. I was at Bleacher Report. Did you go to like journalism school or like how? Oh, you... we're really going back. Oh yeah, yeah no. So I, I need an origin story here. All right. So I started at Syracuse my freshman year. Transferred. I was a basketball manager there, but I knew I wanted to do journalism. Transferred to Missouri after my freshman year. Graduated from Missouri. Worked at the TV station. Worked in local news. Uh, and I was like a producer, anchor, that kind of stuff for uh, a reporter for. Uh, the NBC affiliate in Columbia, Missouri. Then started what was freelancing. The best story you worked on in Columbia, oh, Missouri. I was I was terrible on on TV. I was awful. There's a reason I'm a writer. You didn't <laughs> you didn't have your Fu Manchu back then? No, no, I didn't. I didn't. This is the only day in my life I've had a Fu Manchu, and it might be the last. So, what kind uh, of TV stuff did you do? So, I was doing. I was like covering. It was when I was still in college, but I was doing. Uh, I was doing like reporting and anchoring and, and producing for them. So it was mostly like, it was just local sports. So I'd cover high school football, uh, Mizzou sports, whatever the Mizzou sports were. I did play by play for the radio station in the summers. I'd cover different like Missouri sports or I did play by play in the Cape Cod league up in Massachusetts one year, which was awesome. Best summer ever, honestly. Um, yeah, that must've been a good one. Oh, it was awesome. I got to live in, in Cape Cod and just watch baseball all day and call these games from these amazing players. Like there were like awesome, like Kyle Hendricks was a middle reliever for the team that I did play by play for, you know, he got cut from the team and brought back. <laughs> and now he's like the best major leaguer out of any of those players. Cause he was like this, this kid from Dartmouth and they were like, we're going to cut the kid from Dartmouth. He's obviously not, not the guy the who Dartmouth. we're keeping. Yeah, it was like a contact pitcher from Dartmouth. Now he's like a World Series champ and an awesome major That's league wild. pitcher. Yeah, yeah. Stanley Morgan. Dartmouth kids can't cut it in the in the majors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so then then after that, and it was I was doing like high school football and that kind of stuff, and I knew I didn't want to do TV, so I I started blogging about the NBA like towards the end of college. I want to say senior year was when I really started. Uh, and I got into like the ESPN True Network. I started writing for Hoopspeak. If you guys remember Hoopspeak.com. Yeah. And then I started writing for Clipper Blog because I was a Clippers fan growing up. Um, so I started writing for Clipper Blog because uh, a bunch of those guys started following me and I started following them and we started messaging and and I and uh, I was able to get in touch with Kevin Arnovitz, who was running the site back then. I ended up starting to write for them. And that just kind of snowballed from there. So I eventually, after college, started writing for Bleacher Report. I wrote for Bleacher Report for a bit, um, wrote for foxsports.com for a year. Then when Fox Sports started its its pivot to video, they waved by to me, and I was out of a job. And then I eventually got the job covering the Thunder after that. And then I was at the Thunder. Then I went to Boston for my seven days. Seven and days. Then, uh, and then I uh, – Went down to DC. They were good seven days. What was the highlight of your time covering the Celtics? Wow. Meeting Jam Packard and going out for nachos. I think like it has to be top of the list. 
Was that when I was covering the Celtics? I, you covered the Celtics yeah, summer league. Right? We summer, summer league. league. Celtics, that was it, summer right? league. That was the one. Set, I mean, I in all seriousness, I covered the Celtics for the longest amount of time one can cover the Celtics without actually covering a Celtics game, because I they lost in the Eastern Conference Finals, I believe, that Friday. Ice on a Friday. It was like the last Friday in May. I started that Monday, and my last day of work was the day before media day. So the start of the season, say in September. So I, I, I think I covered them. So I was there for three months. I, I think I covered them for the shortest amount of time you can do without doing a Celtics game. What was my highlight of covering the Celtics? Sleeping on my couch one night. Probably. I did. Oh, and then the you, Robert I know, Williams. I know, I know. It was, it was, it was when Robert Williams <laughs> slept through his conference call. Oh, the birth yep. of Time Lord. And, yeah, yeah. It was when Robert Williams slept through his conference call for sure. And, and Jay and I were just like, this kid is, I slept at Jay's apartment that night. I slept on his yeah. couch and we were just phoning into the conference call together. And I was like, this kid is really just sleeping through his conference call right now. And we're both, Jay and I are both getting calls and we're, we're working for competing publications at the time. So yeah. I'm like stepping out of the room when I get a call, he's stepping out of the room when he gets a call and <laughs> We're, we're we're like getting calls like because because we're tweeting out like robert every celtics beat writer is tweeting out like robert williams you know slept through the conference call um and uh and we're just getting calls from people who knew robert williams being like just basically having the same reaction as everyone of this is hilarious and uh that was a great that was a great morning i've never been so happy for to have somebody miss me, you know, it was, normally yeah, someone no, misses it and you're like, ah, they're wasting my time. And that was just delight, delight. Cause every interaction I've ever had with Robert Williams has been delightful. And it was perfect that you slept over. So that was the day after the draft. So Fred wasn't living in Boston yet, but wanted to cover the draft. So he, we'd cover the draft. He stayed at my place. We, we thought it would just be a normal conference call with Robert Williams. Like, just Generic sit quotes. there, yeah. Oh, what 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 type of player do you play like? Like, you know, I'm like excited all this to come stupid stuff. And then he didn't show up, and <laughs> and like Fred said, I I'm not sure I've ever been barraged with texts and phone calls like like we were that day. Like everyone had some sort of Robert Williams story or some reaction, and and wanted to talk about it because that was. Nobody misses the the call the very next morning, like their first professional conference call. But Robert Williams <laughs> managed it, and and everyone wanted like people were calling like, "Oh yeah, here's what happened here with Robert Williams. Here's our Robert Williams tale." And it was it was such a bad start for Robert Williams because I wouldn't have known a lot of that stuff about him if if that never happened. Like people wouldn't have called and talked to me about him, but because he did that everyone was like oh yeah and here's what else he did wrong and here's his other thing <laughs> and it's like all of a sudden you have all these stories about robert williams like maybe not caring all that much about basketball and we never would have known those if it if he had just called in on time to his conference call so so you know you're covering a a ridiculous moment not necessarily like an important moment because that wasn't an important moment. It was just a ridiculous moment. Yeah. You know you're covering a ridiculous moment as a reporter when your phone is ringing off the hook, but 
but you're not calling anyone. And that's when you know that you're, that's really, I I can think of two moments in my career where it's like, that has been the case. And that was one of them. And the other one was the night of the, the Marshawn Brooks, Dylan Brooks mix up when I was covering the Wizards. Oh wow. Yeah. And, and everyone was calling me that night, just being like, (laughs) okay, here's the deal. Here's what's happening. And I didn't even have time to call anyone because I'd be like, I'd be getting calls while I'd be on the line with someone I had to be talking to. And I missed that call, so then I called that person back, and I missed two more calls, and it was just running down. And that was that night, and it was like the same type of deal where it's like, this is a ridiculous moment. This is totally absurd what's happening here. Yeah, Uh, because normally we're the ones calling and annoying people. Exactly. So when it's the other way, you know something insane has happened. And that was I, I, I had forgotten that scene, and... And it really was funny because neither of us wanted the other to know what we were learning. So we we really were like like going into different rooms and and it, it was really kind of hysterical. Do you like come back like, to the room and then like tweet something and then like you look across the room and be like, damn you king? Like No, we we'd we'd more come back to the room. We were we were cracking up. We were like we were we, cracking up, we were like we shaking. Knew we our were heads. getting we knew we were probably getting the same stories. And then we just kind of started sharing like surface level stuff. We were like, yeah, I know we, what you're we getting. Definitely you just know started what sharing and we were like, you know what? Yeah, I'm not gonna be able to report some of this stuff. So <laughs> but it's I'm so funny, so we have anyway. to just talk about it. <laughs> we were cracking up. We were like, dude, this story is better than the last one I got, but I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we were sharing certain stories. We were hiding certain stories. It was, it really was just a hilarious time to be with another Celtics reporter because, like he said, that never happens where people call us. So when it was like that and we were both just sitting there in the same living room and going through it, it, it was weird, but it was. It was memorable and it was hysterical. It was so funny, man. Yeah, it's so funny. And then All he right. skipped. He skipped his first practice. Oh yeah, I mean that's how what? he became the Time Lord. Like yeah, this got his wallet. He was bored. What a start by Robert Williams, and it was all during the Fred Katz era. For I, t- I told you, Fred just brings dysfunction everywhere he goes. Yeah, the the wallet thing was so funny. Yeah, that's Time Lord. <laughs> great. I was playing 2K with my roommate the other day and I was playing with Time Lord and I called him Time Lord and he goes, why do they call him Time Lord? And I just, uh, it's a very long story. I was just like, oh, because he fucking rocks. And like, it was a, <laughs> it was a good enough explanation. He's really talented though. He can jump really high, man. The guy loves oh, jumping. Man, he can jump. Um, he jumps so high. That was one it, of the... The things about the Celtics season that I was, uh, I think it was like the lone thing I was excited about, about the remaining regular season, because there was definitely a point where it was like, oh God, just another game. Like if they don't have their complete starting lineup, they're like not going to be great, but they're a pretty good team. Like let's get to the playoffs. The one thing I was like really interested in was like, how are they going to work Robert Williams back? Uh, because he's good and like could have been a contributor to them. Well, we're talking about Time Lord. Can, can we, can we, I, I have a question. Go for it. Is is Vinny Sexpants call? I I know the the origin of Vinny Sexpants. <laughs> I know the whole Vinny Sexpants nickname origin story. I know everything. Is he doing it ironically when he refers to himself now as Vinny Sexpants, or does he really like truly think it's awesome? I think a combination of both. I think he's doing it ironically, and he knows everyone else has fun with it. And I think he is doing the same, but also loves it. 
like loves that he is Vinny Sex Pants. He has entitled himself Vinny Sex Fingers. He is Vinny Sex anything like Vinny oh, Sex his, kills his, over his gender Duty reveal. Kills. His gender reveal was outrageous. He it is was, it was hysterical. I don't even know if I've seen his gender reveal. What happened? I can't believe I missed this. Uh, did he say? I believe he Vinny just, Sex Daddy. <laughs> Vinny Sex Baby. I believe what it was. I mean, I, mean, I, yeah, was, <laughs> I don't know how the irony translates from French, but like he's embraced it pretty much way more than I was ready to go. And yeah. it's really become weird. Like, but he's also a dude who shows up in like Versace suits and like, like the name, the name fits the man. He's like, was like, I think it's pretty genuine how much he, he enjoys the name. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I assume there has to be some sort of irony in there. He can't be full, fully sincere. I kind of hope he is. He could be. I don't know. I don't. I don't know how Paris like a, a Parisian is. Which one is funnier? What's funnier? If he's totally unaware, or if he knows it's funny, so we can push harder to make it technically funnier. I think it's funnier if he knows it's funny and he does does more to lean into it and like wears more outrageous things oh because no of- oh no it's it's way funnier if he has no clue that, that people are laughing over Vinny sex pants and he's just like strutting in like yeah i'm Vinny sex pants <laughs> I'm, I'm Vinny sex finger i'm Vinny sex kills i'm Vinny sex daddy whatever other variations of it he has used i think that is that would be peak Vinny sex pants let's be honest i think it depends on how comfortable you are in the uncomfortable like Jay is comfortable in very uncomfortable situations, so he thinks the one that's more socially uncomfortable is funnier. That's yeah. fair. No, I don't like uncomfortable social situations. <laughs> I want everyone to be on the same page. <laughs> this is okay, funny because we all are in on the joke. Speaking of uncomfortable situations, back to Russell Westbrook, which okay, we, we literally early. haven't Jay with the host it. pivot no. right there. Yeah, um, I so, want to. I want to ask well, you about uh, your. Had you been credentialed before you like became a Thunder beat writer, or are you can just like, going to that locker room? Finish my question, Packer. <laughs> no, I just an unbelievable intera- uh, interruption. Well, because uh, uh, I'm normally the host, and Jay's uh, taking over hosting responsibility, so I'm just trying to guard my turf here. Yeah, 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 I did. I did like four features a week for Bleacher Report for probably two years, and then I wrote for. Okay, Fox.com I just wanted to know that. if you weren't like thrown into the very dysfunctional. No, no, I'd been covering the NBA for a few years before I became a beat reporter. But okay. I was like doing that and like not making good money for those two places and having to freelance on the side and all that. That was like my first. Like when I became a Thunder beat reporter was when I was like, like that was a big get for me. I was really excited about that. If you were to guess, on average, how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week, maybe? Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. Basically a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, 
Go to GetRoman.com slash Celtics for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash Celtics for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. And Jay, it seems like you have a question. And then he ran into Russell Westbrook. So I guess from from a reporter standpoint, and what I'm curious about is how you approached asking questions of Russell Westbrook. Because obviously, like... He was liable to blow up at any of you at any time. And it wasn't necessarily because he didn't like you. It wasn't necessarily because he didn't like the question. It could have been any reason. So, like, how much thought did you put into, like, how you worded questions? Like, what was the dynamic? And would you guys joke about it afterward, like, when he when he went wild? No. What? Not, not no. with Russell, with everybody else. Oh, yeah. But, but, but let's, start, let's start with, did you... Like, what was your th- process of coming up with these questions for him? Like, was there any anxiety there? Uh, early when I was covering him, there was. And early when I was it, – it, it evolved. It changed because my relationship with him changed. Um, I mean, he never explicitly told me he didn't like me, but I don't think you needed to be a genius in social interactions to figure out that he disliked me. Um, so, so it kind of – it kind of changed as um, I continued to cover him, and also as I as I got to know him. Um, I think you have to be short in your question and and direct in your question, but direct, but also open ended. Like no, yes, they say like when you're a reporter, no, yes, no questions. But some people you learn like rules are meant to be broken in certain times, right? Like there are some people who you know that they're a great interview and you have a good rapport with them and they're really overly open-ended. Sometimes you do want to ask a yes, no question, like keeping on the thunder theme, Billy Donovan. If you want to talk about, I can talk. he can talk forever. And if you want to ask him about basketball X's nose, he will talk forever to you about basketball X's nose. He is so helpful on that stuff. And so you can throw an act yes, no question at Billy Donovan. And he's still going to give you a 300 word answer explaining everything to you if you're talking about the game or whatever else because that's just how billy comports himself during interviews russell it's like if you give him an opportunity for a one-yard answer then there's a realistic chance he's going to take that opportunity for the one more if answer. you give him a lane to dunk that motherfucker is gonna dunk correct and so you kind of have to steer away from yes no with him i always i always tried to do that i tried to steer away from um, any sort of thing where he could give you one word. Um, Russell does not like, or at least I don't know. I, I haven't covered him in a few years now, but at least when I was covering him, he's not into follow-up questions. So you have to, you have to, if you're going to ask a follow-up question, I don't want to say it was a policy that he doesn't take follow-up questions, but it kind of might as well have been. Um, so if he didn't answer your question or if maybe you asked it in a way you didn't want to and you kind of wanted to like you just messed up the question or or if he said something that you didn't know so you want to follow up on it it's like you have to really you want to make sure that it's worth it to ask the question in that moment because it might just end up not being worth it in the long term because you could ask him a follow-up question that doesn't talk to you for three weeks um and that's just like not worth the stress if it's not a newsworthy thing or not something that's really going to enhance a story and it's just kind of a basic question. So that kind of stuff, you're kind of on edge. I, as I continued covering him, I, I actually kind of got away from interviewing him. 
as as I've covered the NBA more and more, I've kind of really truly believed that the the people who can help your story the most are the ones who you should talk to. And it shouldn't really matter if that person averages 30 points per game or three points per game. If that person can help you the most with the story that you're working on. Now I like covered him during his MVP season and multiple years where he averaged triple doubles and trip to the Western conference finals and all that. So obviously he was still extremely relevant to many things that I wrote, but if, if that, that person is not really going to be able to help you tell the story you're trying to tell, like I'd go to Andre Robertson or I'd go to somebody else who might be more Austin like Rivers. Actually. Yeah. Well, that was in Washington, but yes, Austin Rivers, like Austin Rivers was the ninth man on the wizards, but I would quote Austin Rivers a lot because Austin Rivers would give good quotes and actually help you tell a story or help you tell what was going on behind something you were trying to tell. And so those sorts of things, like I'd rather just go to those people. I think that helps you tell a better story. And those are the stories that I like to read. So I just never felt like it's like, what? So I'm going to ask him a question and he's just going to kind of say, I play every game the same way I go out and I play hard. It's like, I'm not going to run the quote anyway. So, so I'd rather just go spend that time and go ask somebody else um, a question. Maybe, maybe I'll get something original as opposed to a caged, caged answer. So that was kind of how it, how it um, evolved. That's like, this is sort of inside baseball talk, I guess, that I'm not sure if anyone else will care about. But from like a writer's standpoint, it's, it's so interesting to me to find out how guys approach that. Because in some cases, it with superstars like that, like we don't get chances to like sit down and talk to these guys like Russell Westbrook probably wasn't going and doing a lot of one on one interviews. And he probably wasn't like taking you aside just chatting about life ever and so the only windows we get sometimes chatting with these players are like in scrums with a lot of reporters and you're just asking a question that and a lot of times you know they're not going to like the question because a lot of times what what's most important to find out is what's uncomfortable and so like like with Kyrie for example he didn't do many one-on-one interviews and we used to like like it would be a, a real process, like trying to ask the perfect question to him so that he would actually answer it in a way that enlightened you. And like we would, it would, it, it's just weird. And it, it's so strange that you have to put so much time and thought into like how you formulate a certain question, but you only get like one or two chances and that's how he's going to see you. Like those questions are how he formulates his opinion on you in some some ways, I think. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't give a shit. I don't know. But but if it feels like that and and so yeah, like there's a lot of thought sometimes, especially with players that are thornier of going of like what you actually say in your questions and how you like form like I used to try to gas up Kyrie. I used to always like begin my question with a little gas and hope that like the question itself wouldn't offend him too much. Yeah. Well, it, it all just depends on the person. Like I'll, I'll ask, I might want to ask the exact same question to two different people, but I'll ask it in completely different ways. Cause I know them and know how they react. And that's yeah. not even like uh, I know this person hates me. So I reacted. It's just like, like Scott Brooks, for example, who is, 
the most personable human being any of us are ever going to meet, right? And who, if you give him an opportunity, like he will always try like a pithy dad dad joke one liner, just always. And so, if you dad jokes, if you ask your question, so like when I ask Scott questions, I'll often try to lead him into a joke. Like I'll ask him something, trying to make him laugh. And so that way he just makes his joke right off the way and then goes, nah, but, and then he'll give me what he's saying. And the joke is honestly, it's often a really good quote and I'll just run it because it'll, it'll make somebody laugh. So yeah. nothing wrong with that. Like we're covering sports. We're not covering the White House. It's supposed to be fun. So like somebody says a funny joke, let it run. But then he'll he'll get the joke out of the way and then he'll he'll talk about the thing that you want to talk about too. And so like there are just different, ways that you approach people knowing how they are with, with Russell. I, I don't know. I'm a big believer that, and, and there might be people who disagree with me on this because there's just a lot of pissing contest stuff that goes on in our profession. But like, I'm a big believer that the reason we ask questions is not to ask a question. It's to actually get a good answer. And like, I don't, I don't want to just ask a question so I can be the guy who asks the tough questions and then just gets cliche responses. Like that's, that doesn't do anything for me. I don't care about running the cliches. I don't ever want to run the cliches. I don't want to run that stuff. So like, yeah, you know, Russell hits a game winning three. You're going to ask him about the game winning three. What'd you see on that play? Whatever. If Russell takes a three, when there was a guy wide open under the hoop on a, on a play, on a game winning play and he misses it. Cause he shot it out of a triple team. Like, yeah, you're going to ask him about his decision-making too. And to his credit, Russell normally in those moments when he, makes uh i think people think of him as like in those moments then that's when you're like the most intimidated he was always really good in those moments like russell you know, he he's famous for kind of making those uh you know the late game decision making stuff there those moments where russ puts up a three out of a triple team and there's somebody open on a game winning play or something like that and he it doesn't turn into a game winning play like he's often really good and takes accountability for himself and says yeah you know what i messed up i should have done something else like those aren't really the moments that like things would happen. It was just kind of when you when you broke his personal policies, the no follow-up question stuff, um, that kind of stuff. It's when you broke his personal policies and the ways he wanted to interact, which just like isn't how most players interact. And when you just kind of had to, because we still have to do our job sometimes, like, and you just kind of had to, that's that's when you often have the problems. I think it goes to something earlier that you said about Jay being comfortable in uncomfortable situations. And I like probably what makes it a report like you guys both good at being reporters because I've been there as a guy kind of half-assing this whole journalism thing and like asking questions and it is entirely nerve wracking. And I can imagine with difficult people like Kyrie and uh, Westbrook that it's um, more so, but I'm curious, I guess it's like, would you rather have Russell Westbrook and kind of know where you stand or like know that you're not necessarily going to get this type of answer from him to someone else? I don't know. I'm thinking of like Kemba. Like Kemba doesn't say very much anything interesting in post game. I can't remember a Kemba quote that was like because he just speaks in cliches and it's a very like cordial interaction. No one's ever going like, to get in a fight with Kemba, but you're not like Freddie. We're talking about like what what do I need to write the story? Is the Kemba and I'm keep using him too much as an example, but we'll just say like, is the cliche answer uh, more helpful? Like, I don't know. Do you just waste your time going to the Kemba scrum or do you like try to go to somewhere else with like Westbrook is like, clearly you need to talk to him, but is that better 
like if you knowing where you stand or knowing that you're not going to get the the money quote from him. Yeah, I get what you're saying, but I think Russ is actually a bad example to use for that because Russ is still full of cliches too. Like the Russ has tons of great quotable moments, like viral moments, but they're not quotable moments. Like they're things that are good for Twitter and that are good for YouTube, but they're not going to help you write a story. You know? They're yeah, but you like, know that going in, like hypothetically, like yes. you, you go to a Jason Tatum scrum and he could say like everyone's there to like potentially – have him be insightful, but it doesn't often happen. And so is it like, (laughs) no, no. What I'm saying is if you're telling me you can have a contentious relationship with someone who's just going to give you cliches or a nice relationship with someone who's just going to give you cliches, I'll take the nice relationship because you're just getting cliches out of it anyway. But if you can have a contentious relationship with someone who's actually going to give you stuff for your stories, not just give you quotes, but give you details. You can talk about the game with, I'll take the contentious relate. Like, like, like I feel like Draymond is a good example of that. Where like Draymond will tell the media what he thinks, but Draymond is smart. He's engaged. He's incredibly smart. He's incredibly engaged. He knows the game better than any of us. Like he's honest, uh, which is part of why I think you could, you know, have a moment where you do get into him if you covered him. Um, I would, I would love to cover someone like Draymond. That's fine because I, I think the vast majority of guys, if you're straight up, like it's. They're just people like if if you're straight up with them and you don't take personal shots, like you don't, you don't, you don't skip Bayless, nickname them and do that kind of stuff. You're just like, if they mess up, you're right about how they messed up and you're right. Here's what happened. And here's what should have happened. Like there have been times where players have approached me about, about things that I wrote. Uh, and then we just talk it out and it's, it's pretty much always fine. So I'll take the guy who's going to like, actually help me with a story and help me write stuff 10 times out of 10 for sure. Although okay. like that doesn't mean I'd rather go to dinner with that person, hang out with them. Like Kemba seems like a wonderful person to spend an afternoon with. Let, let's, let's change this around a little bit. We got to let you off soon. Um, but before we let you go, who would be the top five players in the league you would want to cover that you haven't yet? All time or current? Let's go all time. Fuck it. Or would you go back and just hang out with Steven Adams? No. <laughs> well, I've covered Steven Adams, but Steven Adams is a Steven Adams is one of a kind. Uh number one all time one to cover, no question, complete and total blowout. It's it's not even cl- like number two is is as close to the is as close as like you know, like Plato as like Pluto is to the sun. Uh Charles Barkley. No question. Charles Barkley is the greatest NBA player ever to cover. And it's not even close. That, that guy is, is incredible. He's hilarious. And he's willing to talk. (laughs) That's exactly what you want. And he's amazing. (laughs) He's historically underrated. He is an unbelievable player. He's one of 20 greatest players of all time. So you get to cover an absolute superstar who is maybe the best quote of all time. Like maybe the best quote of all time happened to be unbelievable at basketball. It's not like, like you'd think the best quote in the history of the NBA would be like some role player. Evan no, Turner. Evan Turner. <laughs> Evan Turner, the God. No, Charles Barkley is a better quote than Evan Turner. And I think the same of Evan Turner as you guys do. Charles Barkley. It's fair. Answer this question. It means more because he's so good at basketball. I will, like the I will fact not that he has that personality. For this, this Evan Turner slander on this podcast. It's no slander. 
if we're talking current day players, the who are the two best? I I think Evan Turner and Stephen Adams are the two best quotes in the league. Yeah, I mean Evan's way up there, and I I think Stephen. I don't, I haven't dealt with Stephen ever, but I assume he's no. The, the same Thunder way. don't like, let you talk to him when he comes to Boston. Believe me, I've tried. <laughs> what, what also makes what helps make Evan good is that he's really accessible and he, he's really nice. On right. top of being a great quote, like he's just the full package. Right. If he was just Charles Barkley as a player, then boom, he'd be way up there. Okay, <laughs> number, number one, Charles Barkley. Right. Who's number two? So Barkley's number one. I feel like Dirk would be great. Yeah. Dirk, Dirk, I think, is a little bit more in the Kemba side of things, but he's kind of got an edge. Like, yeah, he, I feel like later Dirk, he got more of an edge. Yeah, he's kind of got an edge. Honestly, Michael Jordan's on the list. Mike, I mean, Michael yeah. – my, like just being able to cover my cover Michael Jordan and like and like for the most part, like I've I've talked with people who covered him and and they've they've said like they've talked about how he was really willing and 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 really open to beat reporters and that kind of stuff. And like he was he he did more than he had to with beat reporters. So I think I'll put Jordan on the list. Um we got three. We got three. Who's 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 somebody Who's you know you know who's a fascinating guy? Um, chronicling Bill Russell in the '60s would have been awesome. Yeah, although he would have probably not wanted to ever deal with you. You're probably right. You're probably yeah. right because the media didn't the media didn't like him. But you know what? The media was also uh, not the greatest back then too. <laughs> if, if, we drop, say, if we drop Paul Rudd and Seth Rogen's child back then, I'd be like, who is this asshole with the Fu Manchu? Are you saying that people like the media in 1957 might not be the people you trust the most? And then if uh, Bob Cousy wins the MVP award, you don't have to put him number one as your Celtics all-time point guard list? <laughs> Is that the conclusion that you were trying to draw? We're going to talk about the, the point guard list. Cousy was We're, we're just saying MVP. the media in 1957 was not the most trustworthy, but so you might not want to put your entire rankings based on uh, one MVP award. I, I just think Bill Russell... I, Bill Russell might not have liked me. Maybe it would have ended up being a, a, a Russell Westbrook situation. But like, man, Bill Russell is is one of the most fascinating people in the history of the NBA to me. And just being around someone so fascinating who was doing such incredible things during that time on and off the court would have been would have been awesome. Let's see, Mag- Magic Johnson would be great. Kareem would be great. I guess if I get Magic Johnson, do I also get Kareem because they're just Ooh, teammates? 80s, yeah. Like, Allen Iverson would have been super fascinating. I don't yeah, know how good he was with the media. I, I have I don't no know clue. How good he was with the media, like, like Matt, I've never, I've never even talked to anyone about that. Who, who else, who else is is in contention for for this final, for this? Final I would put spot. Larry Bird on there just because I've grown up hearing so many stories about like Larry Bird and like going out drinking with Bob Ryan. I feel like it would just be fun to be Bob Ryan back in like the 1980s. Yeah, Kobe or Jack and Kobe and Shaq when they were together would have been awesome. Awesome. Yeah, Shaq, awesome Shaq is a good one. But but you know what the because, thing with Shaq was? I, I was I was talking to someone about Shaq recently. And the thing with Shaq was that like Shaq would light up when he was doing a national interview or when the cameras were really there and that kind of stuff. But on a day-to-day basis, Shaq just wasn't really it. So I don't know if I could have Shaq on the list. Kobe I think late in his career and maybe early in his career would be way up there for me because he, I mean, he was just fascinating and 
and also like the the beef with Shaq, the the way people talk about how they kind of discuss they like as a reporter, you, you were just op- they would openly share the beef. Uh, from what I hear, and that would be really, really interesting, especially yeah. considering they were winning championships at the time. Back to the back to the hashtag petty wars. Really, really complicated to cover. Yeah, to cover Kobe though, like that's that's a really difficult thing to deal with. That is like true. you you've got to deal with all the Eagle Colorado stuff, and that that adds a lot of complications to like I don't envy envy journalists who who had to go through stuff where like. When you write about how great Kobe is, Kobe was an unbelievable basketball player. And when you write about him as a basketball player, it doesn't automatically validate everything that he did in his life as a human. But you are always treading that line when you write about Kobe. And it's a really, really difficult line to tread. And it's something I think you always have to be conscious of. And I just imagine that can get really exhausting for someone when you're writing about someone. Like when I write about Bradley Beal, I don't have to worry about what it says about greater cultures in our society. Like, I don't have to worry about that. But when you write about Kobe, you do have to worry about that. I imagine that would get, that would get really just like mentally and emotionally exhausting as a journalist covering that all the time. That's Uh, a valid point. uh, Larry Bird's a good answer. And you know, I like to drink beers and like hang out. As a New Yorker, I will say, Boston has the best basketball journalists of all time. So I, I, I want to get in with the Boston basketball crew. Jackie McMullen is like my idol. I get so nervous whenever I see her. I like kind of freak out. She's one of the only, only ones. I just like kind of like freak out. Cause she is just like one of my all time idols. Uh, being able to chill with Jackie McMullen and Bob Ryan in the eighties sounds like literally the coolest thing ever. So I'll take Larry Bird so I can hang out with, with Bob Ryan and Jackie McMullen in the eighties. That that seems like a pretty good idea. And, and with that, we'll let you go and we'll let Packard close this out because he wants the hosting duties. And I, I will not take that away from him. Thanks Jay. Thank you to Fred's cats for coming out, joining us. If you guys want to read the work of Fred or Jay, you can go to theathletic.com slash anything is potable. What is it? Free 90 days right now? Free 90 day trial. Uh, free for anyone 90 days. Wants to read both their work. Uh, Fred had a really awesome two-part article uh, talking with Bradley Beal about his leadership. That was uh, definitely worth reading. Jay is constantly doing great work on the Celtics. So if you like that, uh, subscribe to The Athletic. If you like our podcast, please subscribe, rate, do all the things podcast hosts tell you to do. Uh, tell a friend. And thank you for listening to this episode of Anything is Potable!